Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast. A weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Himra Chanel, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Ave, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Park Avenue Baptist Church, in response to COVID-19, has suspended in-person worship, but that can't stop us. What you'll hear on this podcast is a recording of our online worship, which happens each Sunday at 10 a.m. Join us through our Facebook, at Park Ave Baptist, or our Instagram, at Park Ave Baptist. We hope that you stay safe in these difficult times. Hi, Park Avenue. Good morning, Park Avenue. I'm not grieving right now. I'm anxious. I'm anxious to see what our lives are going to look like. I am grieving the loss of the sense of security that we had before this time. Grieving that physical separation. I'm concerned about what's going to be the outlook in a couple of weeks. This only got to see them four times before things shut down. I'm grieving a, a lot of things. Fun plans, our health and wellness of the country. Knowing that that recovery process is going to be long and arduous. After this is done, um, you know, this is not going to be the same America. It's not going to be the same Georgia or Atlanta that we have been used to seeing. I'm trying to do my best to sit in that grief and fully experience it. Like, I'm anxious to see what my um, my particular job is going to look like. I'm anxious to see what our lives are going to look like. Um, and, you know, I just kind of sat and, and dwelled on it. Um, but what I'm doing to stay well is yoga and meditation. Yeah, for me right now, the thing is prayer and knowing that uh, at any moment, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, you know, it takes me two seconds to say, like I said, to give me strength. And I, and I, I can feel his presence and, and I know that he's there for me. Rather than push it to the side and just knowing that to fully rest in that and fully experience that is um, a sign of the love that I'm able to experience from so many people in so many communities and what a gift that that is um, to be grieving because it means that there is great love there and great connection there. Mm-hmm. And to know that, yes, this too shall pass, but it's okay to rest in the emotions that you have. In this time, just take a moment to be still, to connect, to allow yourself maybe to feel some of this grief that is so present in this time right now. 
So listen as I read, Do Not Hurry As You Walk With Grief by Andy Rain. Do not hurry as you walk with grief does not help the journey. Walk slowly, pausing often. Do not hurry as you walk with grief. Be not disturbed by memories that come unbidden. Swiftly forgive and let Christ speak for you unspoken words. Unfinished conversations will be resolved in him, Christ. Be not disturbed. Be gentle with the one who walks with grief. If it is you, be gentle with yourself. Swiftly forgive, walk slowly, pausing often. Take time, be gentle as you walk with grief. And now Pastor Henry is going to pray with us. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, quiet our hearts, still our souls as we wait on you during these moments. We recognize you as holy God, one who deserves great praise and glory. And we testify to your awesome and unique works. We proclaim that there's no one like you, no other God worthy of honor. So we come now at this time to focus on you, to shut out all of the distractions of the world. For these next few moments, it's just you and us. So we proclaim this morning the meditation of our hearts be worthy in honoring you. And we come not to clear our minds, but to simply, uh, we want you to empty us of self and fill us with your spirit. We long for your presence in this time, Lord, and our, our thoughts to include only those thoughts that are honorable, truth, beautiful, pure, and praiseworthy. We remember your great faithfulness in the past, and we are so grateful that you shower us with fresh mercies and grace each morning, providing us with daily bread. And finally, remind us in these times, even when we feel alone and distant from you, that our closeness, that you are so close to us as our next breath. Remind us even in this time of social distancing that we are still called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, to do good to all of God's people, give to those who are in need, remember those on the outskirts of our society. We pray for our world this morning. We pray for those who have lost loved ones during this time. And we ask that your everlasting peace be with them. And all of God's saints say amen. The words from the Gospel of Matthew. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave two disciples a task. He said to them, go into the village over there. As soon as you enter, you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that their master needs them. He sent them off right away. Now this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. Say to the daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding a donkey and on a colt the donkey's offspring. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had ordered them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them. Then he sat on them. Now a large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others cut palm branches off the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds in front of him and behind him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, 
the whole city was stirred up. Who is this? They asked. The crowds answered, it's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of God, for the people of God. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord because the Lord is good, because God's faithful love lasts forever. Let Israel say it, God's faithful love lasts forever. Let the house of Aaron say it, God's faithful love lasts forever. Let those who honor the Lord say it, God's faithful love lasts forever. In tight circumstances, I cried out to the Lord. The Lord answered me with wide open spaces. The Lord is for me, I won't be afraid. What can anyone do to me? The Lord is for me as my helper. I look in victory on those who hate me. It's far better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust any human. It's far better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust any human leader. All the nations surrounded me, but I cut them down in the Lord's name. Yes, they surrounded me on every single side, but I can't, but I cut them down in the Lord's name. They surrounded me like bees, but they were extinguished like burning thorns. I cut them down in the Lord's name. I was pushed so hard I nearly died, but the Lord helped me. The Lord was my strength and protection. The Lord was saving help. The Lord of joyful song, the sounds of joyful songs and deliverance are heard in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's strong hand is victorious. The Lord's strong hand is ready to strike. The Lord's strong hand is victorious. I won't die. No, I will live. And declare what the Lord has done. Yes, the Lord definitely disciplined me, but he didn't hand me over to death. Open the gates of righteousness for me so I can come in and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. Those who are righteous enter through it. I thank you because you answered me, because you were my saving help. The stone rejected by the builders is now the main foundation stone. This has happened because of the Lord. It is astounding in our sight. This is the day the Lord acted. We will rejoice and celebrate in it. Lord, please save us. Lord, please let us succeed. The one who enters in the Lord's name is blessed. We bless all of you from the Lord's house. The Lord is God. God has shined a light on us. So lead the festival offering with ropes all the way to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will lift you up high. Give thanks to the Lord because the Lord is good, because God's faithful love lasts forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Um, like Darcy said, my name is Daniel Bass. I have been um, serving on the worship team here at Park Ave for going on like almost three years now. Um, very new to the deacon um, thing, but that is also super exciting. Um, it is my privilege and my joy to be able to preach with you this morning to worship together. Um, so this is Palm Sunday. Uh, if you grew up in church, you know what that is. If you did not, um, it is kind of the beginning of Holy Week, this week where Jesus enters Jerusalem, um, the week leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. Um, so that is where we are in the church calendar. If you would, please, I'm going to ask you to do something, though I won't be able to hear you. Um, if you would pray with me some words that are kind of adapted from Psalm 118, which Eric read for us earlier. Um, so I will read a line and then we will respond together. Your love endures forever. Okay. So I say a thing and then we all say your line is your love endures forever. Cool. Okay. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for God is good. Your love endures forever. 
Let the disappointed now say, your love endures forever. Let the suffering now say, your love endures forever. Let the lonely now say, your love endures forever. Amen. Um, we will come back to that, but that is just how I wanted us to open up because that is how the psalm that we read today opens. Um, so there you go. Um, I don't know what you folks have been doing with all of your quarantine um, since I can't go to work and I can't go anywhere else and I really can't see very many people. I've got a lot of extra time on my hands. Um, I am doing an awful lot of reading and like I always read a lot, but right now I'm just kind of laying in bed and reading for hours. Um, you know, novels, articles, essays, comic books, like you name it. I am reading a ton. Um, I've always loved to read. And I mean, that's just pretty much my mama's fault. There's no one else to blame. Um, when I was a child, my mama and I went to the library every single week. And um, I mean, my first job in high school was I was a library page. I would reshelve the books when people returned them. Like the library is just my happy place. Um, I am a reader. Uh, there was an extended season of time when I was a kid um, and my mom and I would go to the library where much to her consternation, I would check out the same two books every single weekend. Um, I would read them over and over and over. Nobody else got to read those books. Um, because I always had them. Um, and my mama would say, you know, baby, don't you want to try another book, another nice book by the same author? And I would say, no, thank you. These are my favorites. Um, and part of the joy that I have now that I'm a middle school teacher is helping kids find their favorites. Um, when most of us, when we were young, the way that language arts class worked is that the teacher would assign four or five books. You would read those over the course of the school year. Um, if you were lucky, you would like maybe two or three of them. Um, not so with my tiny progressive private school. Uh, we have an enormous library in our classroom, tons of different genres, and we work really hard to pair what kids are already interested in with books that we think they'll like. Um, we figure if they love the subject matter, maybe they will love reading about it, and then maybe they will love reading. So, you know, you like dragons? We got you. You like World War II a whole bunch? We got you. Um, I love finding books that make kids kind of enter this magical world of reading and stories. Author Jacqueline Woodson says that books can either be windows or mirrors. Um, when they are windows, they offer us kind of a peek into worlds that we would never otherwise know. We can go deeper into another's experience, um, grows our compassion, grows our understanding of others. And when they are mirrors, books kind of hold up a mirror in front of us saying, this is who you are, this is where you are, see yourself. And if you don't like what you see, you can act to change it. Stories can be really powerful. Um, so, I mean, with all of that being said, like the joy of reading is just blooming and blossoming everywhere and kids are becoming avid readers for life. Um, and yet, for some reason, we still run into bumps in the road. Um, one of the challenges that we readers have, and I see it kind of acutely in middle schoolers, but it is by no means relegated to young folks, um, grown-ups do it too, is that sometimes when something happens in the story that we don't like, um, 
if the events don't play out the way we expected, if the characters misbehave and don't act the way we wanted, um, we don't like it and we want to quit reading. We want to quit the story. So sometimes I'll be conferencing with a kid and I'll come up with them and I'll say, hey, um, how's your book going? How are you enjoying it? And they'll go, terrible. This book sucks. I'm like, wait, you've been reading it for a week. You've been loving it. Like you've really been enjoying this story. What happened? Why does it suck all of a sudden? And the kid will invariably say something to the effect of, well, the freaking house elf just died. Or her whole family just got carted off to a concentration camp. When the story doesn't go the way that you want it to, it can be very tempting to call it a bad story. It could be tempting to leave that story in favor of an easier one, one that we like more, um, one in which the characters behave and the events go the way we want them to. Um, you know, maybe like me, you just want to read the same book or two over and over again instead of ever facing anything challenging or new or uncomfortable. But the truth of the matter is, and this is something I try to reiterate to my kids, you can't call it bad yet. You may just be in an uncomfortable chapter. You need to kind of wait and see where the story is going, see what story the author wants to tell as the book continues to unfold. Um, because the truth is in life, often the story we want is not always the story that we get. Um, and if you live long enough, you get really well acquainted with this reality, right? Um, the feeling of this story is not going the way that I wanted it to. Um, when chapters of disappointment and suffering and loneliness show up unexpected and unannounced, we just want to hurl the book of our life across the room and say like, this book sucks. <laughs> this story is awful. I want a new one. For many of us, the season that we are in right now is a chapter like that. We are waking up and we're realizing our lives, our nation, our world is in way worse shape than we want to admit. Um, some folks have known that for a long time and some folks are just now realizing it. And it is a painful realization, no matter your age, the story that we want is not always the story that we get. You can be enjoying it one minute, everything is going well, and things change pretty fast. So when we drop into Matthew's gospel in our story today, chapter 21, we are right on the precipice of the worst part of this story, right before everything goes downhill. But in this moment, everything is riding high, expectation charges the air. Jesus and his disciples are up at the top of the mountain. They're at the Mount of Olives, they are just at the edge of the roller coaster that is Jerusalem. Jesus is about to enter his beloved city, this place that is full of complicated resonance for him. He loves it, and yet it's so um, frustrating at times, but he is ready to enter. And there's only one thing missing in order for Jesus to enter the city of Jerusalem, and that is a donkey. Why a donkey, you ask? Well, if you ask the author of this gospel, it is to fulfill what has been spoken through the prophet, naturally. So Jesus sends two of his buddies to the nearby village, and he says, hey, I need a donkey and a colt. Um, if anybody asks you why you're taking the donkeys, just say the Lord needs them. Um, and there's like a little footnote in some of our Bibles that says, and maybe he also said, and I'll give it back to you when I'm done. 
That's just the Bible. Um, so the disciples are super excited about their friend Jesus and everything he's getting ready to accomplish. He's going to kick butt and take names as they enter Jerusalem. They are jazzed to go grab him some donkeys. They have no idea that within days they will be crushed by disappointment, that Jesus will fail miserably to live up to their hopes for this trip to the big city. Things change fast. But they don't know that yet. So they set off into this village and they take this donkey and her baby. And just as an aside, this is like not the sermon, um, but I always think it's really important to like look at who doesn't get included when you're seeing a story for the first time. Um, and I really wish the owner of this donkey made at least like a cameo, a short appearance, because Jesus says, if somebody asks you what you're doing untying and taking these donkeys. So there's like a very real chance that they just take these donkeys without the knowledge or the consent of the owner. Like that's not, that's not how things are supposed to go, right? And so I just had this moment when I was like preparing for the sermon, I was like, yes, sometimes I've had days where it feels like God stole my donkey without asking. So if you've ever had a day like that, it's just another reminder that the story we want is not always the story we get. Thank you for listening to my aside. Back to the actual sermon. Uh, so with the donkey procured, Jesus and his eager disciples begin their descent into Jerusalem, right? The city is swollen with crowds for the feast of Passover. They're all there to celebrate. The crowd sees him coming from a distance and they go absolutely wild. I mean, like the smell of sweat and dust from the streets and the cries of these people are all just filling the air. They spread their cloaks out before him and begin to hem him in before and behind. The crowd surrounds him and they begin to shout, Hosanna, son of David, Hosanna. Hosanna is this word that kind of simultaneously means we praise you, come save us. And to be clear, like the salvation they're hoping for is not that Jesus will come and lead them in the prayer of salvation so that they get to go to heaven when they die, right? Like that's not what these folks are looking for. They want right here, right now, deliverance from the economic, political, and religious oppression that they experience under Roman rule. They are hoping against hope that this man riding on a donkey is their ticket to salvation, a life with less suffering. And yet, they have no idea that within days, many of them will be screaming bloody murder, calling for his execution. Things change fast. The whole city is shaken up, the scripture says, and people are asking, who on earth is this? And the crowds reply, don't you know? That's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. So if we were to pause the story right here, before the roller coaster plummets, we might think, I love this story. I think it might be one of my favorites. But we know stories change fast. And if you know the chapters that follow, it turns into what my students would call a bad story pretty quickly. The disciples run and hide, the crowds call for Jesus's murder, and Jesus dies crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? our experience of the story can change pretty dramatically from one chapter to the next. 
um, I think given the state of things right now, um, that is not a mystery to any of us. We know that to be true. We are experiencing unprecedented loss, loss of jobs, loss of connection, loss of security, loss of lives, um, loss that just hits so unexpectedly that it takes your breath away. So what do we do when we find ourselves hating the story that we're in? When we would like to throw this one out and trade it in for an easier one? When it's changing too much and too fast and we feel like we cannot keep up? I believe that this story today, the story in Matthew's gospel, is one of those stories that is a mirror. It holds up a mirror in front of us and it challenges us to let go of the lives we wish we had and invites us to become present to our real lives. The story that we want is not always the story that we get. But if we can see ourselves in the disciples, in the crowds, and even in Jesus, maybe we can get honest about the stories that we wish we had. And then even though we have been forced to let go of so much, we can let go of those false narratives too, those fantasies, and get present to the story that's actually being told in our lives. Um, so if like you're looking for three points in a sermon, I guess this is like my three points part. Um, I think that the first kind of story um, that we wish we had that is not real life, I'm learning from the disciples. This text holds up a mirror and it says, you are like these guys. Um, the disciples, just like us, want relationship without disappointment. They want Jesus to fly high, to perform well, to kind of ascend to power and take them with him and not really have any missteps along the way. They want Jesus to be who they think he is in their mind. They, we, want relationship without disappointment. And there is no such thing. We waste so much energy and we make our stories so much worse wishing that the people in our lives would be other than they are. I'm, I'm talking to me first, so I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm talking to myself, whether it is a friend, a relative, a coworker. If you are spending all of your energy frustrated at somebody because they won't change, because they won't be different than the person they are, you're making the story worse. So the challenge I hear to myself, and so I'm gonna extend it to you if it feels helpful, is can you continue to love the people in your life exactly how they are, even if they never change? If not, then perhaps the best thing that you can do is speak the truth in love to that person and then release that relationship, whether for a season or for good. Because we want relationship with no dis without disappointment, but there's no such thing. So let go of that fantasy person that doesn't exist what will you do with the person right in front of you? The next thing that I see in the mirror, the lens of this text when I look at it, is that like the crowds, I and we want life without suffering. There's no such thing. We make the story worse when we linger in anxiety and rage wishing our lives looked different. The only way to change things is to stay present to the lives that we're actually in. Like you can't chuck it out and trade it in for a new one. You have to be in the life you have, not the one you wish you did. 
So the challenge for me, for us is let go of that fantasy life that doesn't exist. What will you do with the life right in front of you? And this last challenge I think is the hardest one, um, especially if you have grown up in the church. Um, I'll just speak for myself. Um, being a part of the Christian faith long enough, um, you will be confronted with this challenge. Just like Jesus, we want to experience God without loneliness. There is no such thing. I think that maybe Jesus's last breath of God, where are you? Why aren't you with me? Is the most human thing he ever utters. During his greatest pain, Jesus's trust wavers. Maybe he knows better in his heart of hearts, but in the moment, it hurts like hell. I have been there. I think many of us are there right now in the middle of upheaval. We're asking the question, God, where are you? Why aren't you with me? And so the challenge is to let go of the fantasy God that doesn't exist. What will you do with the God right in front of you? And that's a lot of letting go, right? I and mean, we've already let go of a lot. Now we're letting go of these kind of false stories. And if you let go of all that, and you realize that you're still breathing, you realize the story's not over yet. We can't know if this story is a good or a bad one. We just know that this is a hard chapter, right? And we can name it that. Like I tell my students, you have to stick around for the end of the story and see what story the author is telling before you make your judgment. In each of our lives, disappointment, suffering, and loneliness are a given. They're there, they're not going anywhere. But the story is longer than we think. God tells really long stories. In fact, the author of this gospel, Matthew's gospel, wants to remind us just how long of a story this is 11 times over the course of this gospel, the author says, this was done to fulfill the words of the prophet. Um, spoiler alert, the words of the prophet were written hundreds of years ago. Um, the author quotes scripture from the Hebrew Bible. They quotes Zechariah, um, that moment where Jesus comes riding on a donkey. It was written hundreds of years before that in Zechariah that the king would enter riding humbly on a donkey. And so this moment where Jesus shows up in this way, it's not new to these folks. They've been looking for and listening to and rehearsing this story for generations. Later, when the people in the crowds chant, um, Hosanna, blessed are you son of David, blessed the one is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's straight out of Psalm 118 that we read earlier. Um, it's not new. These folks have been praying this, reminding themselves that this is a moment, this is a chapter in our enormous long story, a page in a story that's longer than we can even know. Um, what I love about Psalm 118, why I had us read it today, is it begins with God's love endures forever and over and over and over again they say it. And then in the middle, there are all these parts that are like, 
I was pushed to the edge. I almost fell. I was punished greatly. I almost died. And then there's this moment where it says, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. And we in our liberal circles don't love that language of punishment. I don't love it. And I'm not always sure what to do with it. But the part of this that really sticks with me is I won't die, but I will live to tell the story of God. And the only way that this prayer works, like the only way for that to actually be true is if you're still alive. If you are in the land of the living, if there is breath in your body, then the story is not over yet. And like, who knows? Maybe even after you have breathed your last, the story might still not be over yet. Just ask Jesus. So you cannot find a good book, a good story, a good life that does not include pain. There's no such thing. When we read the Bible, things can change fast enough to make your head spin, and there's pain shot all the way through it, but the Bible begins and it ends with God's love. The Psalm that we read today has pain, near death, suffering, right in the center of it. And yet the Psalm begins and it ends with the steadfast love of God that endures forever. Your life is going to be full of pain. It's just the story we're in. It's not the one we want, but it's the one we get. And yet your life begins and ends with God's love. God is telling a long story with your life. And this chapter is not the end. So as we follow Jesus into Holy Week, we know all too well that the story that we want is not always the story we get. We like the people of Israel, like Jesus himself, have known loss. We've known disappointment and suffering and loneliness. And still, as we wait to see how this long story unfolds, we can say with them, your steadfast love endures forever. Amen. And let us celebrate communion together in this new way. So in the struggle against oppression, Jesus is a face of love to us, showing us the way to abundant light. In word and deed, he announced love's new reign of justice, reconciliation, and peace. And so at the last meal that Jesus shared with his chosen family, Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. Thank you, God. He broke the bread and gave it to his followers, saying, share this bread among you, which is the body that will be broken for justice. Do this and remember me. And likewise, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks and said, this is the cup of salvation, the cup of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Amen. God of love, spirit of compassion, bless us. And this bread and wine, may this meal be food and drink 
for our journey, for our protest, for our crying out for the love that begins and ends our lives, renewing, sustaining us, and making us whole. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we experience your presence in our midst. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta, across the street from Grant Park, at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into a world that is too often unjust, knowing that the God that created you loves you and empowers you to love boldly, live inclusively, and serve creatively. Mm -hmm.